At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. you know that we've been walking through a series called Mission Endure. We've been talking about how we might be able to endure on the mission that Christ has called us to. Not just serve for a season, not just serve while we were in college, but serve actually throughout our days. Excuse me for a second. I got so excited I choked on my own saliva. That's a wonderful way to begin your sermon, Mark. Okay, um, <clears throat> we have this treasure in earthen vessels. All right, uh, so we're, we're talking about how do we endure on this mission that Christ has called us to. And so we've seen this in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 through 7, and we're going to be in part 6 of this series today, seeing another installment in this series, looking at what the Apostle Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, encourages all of us in how we might endure on mission with Christ. Now, as we think about this, we're really talking about ministry And when I put this word ministry up there, I know that for some of you, maybe even for many of you, you see this word and you think vocation, that ministry is something for the pastors, or maybe ministry is something for the pastors and possibly the elders, but ministry is certainly not something for me. But the reality is, friends, that if we are in Christ, we have been invited onto mission with Christ And he desires to have a ministry through us in the lives of others. This is because ministry is nothing more than a service. It's serving others in Jesus' name. And so when we have this definition and this idea, let me just ask you this question. Why do you serve? And and I, I know Wildwood is a church that is known for its service. There are so many people, hundreds of people every Sunday, every week, serving Christ through the different ministries of Wildwood. Why do you serve? And I know what some of you will say. Well, I serve because someone asked me to. And they were so persistent that I thought, I better say yes just to, just to get them off of my back. Maybe that is why you began to serve. But why have you continued to serve? You know, if we're honest, we might say we're, we've, we've begun serving or we've continued serving because it's fun. Or we might say we have begun serving or continued serving because our friends are, are doing those things. Or we have begun serving and we've continued serving because circumstances have worked out that way. I had that Wednesday night free. I was already going to be in the building because my kids were going to a, a, a kid's class and so I decided to serve one hour. You know, there are many reasons why we might serve or continue to serve. But, you know, as we think about it, if those are the reasons why we are serving, we will not endure in our service. Because though ministry is fun, it certainly is fun. But it's not always fun. And though ministry is something we get to do with our friends, that that certainly is something that we are able to do, but they're not always there. Sometimes it can be lonely. And though sometimes circumstances line up, at other times it might be inconvenient. We might have to rearrange our schedule in some way. So it's difficult for us to think of enduring on mission with Christ if we're only motivated by the things that are most pleasing 
to us. So what is it that might be a motivation for ministry that might endure? Well, let me offer another alternative. And that is that we serve because we are following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we cannot follow him without following him into service. Jesus said of himself in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is serving. Jesus is giving. And if we are following him, we will follow him into acts of service and love to one another. Not only this, but Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus modeled service. He modeled ministry. And if we follow him, we will follow him into service and ministry to others. Jesus will persist in that mission. And if we follow him, we will persist and endure as well. Now, when we think of, of, of this idea, it reminds us of what we saw Paul say back in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. When he makes this comment, he says, And Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We live not for us, but we live for God and for his glory. But what does it look like when we live for God and for his glory? If we are following Christ and living for him and for his glory, what will it look like? Well, friends, I think we're reminded that when we live for him, we live for him by serving them. We live for him by serving them. This is really the emphasis of this entire section of God's word. That as we follow Christ, there is no way to do that and not can be, be living our lives pouring out and serving, being in ministry to others. And so we see this reminder from these verses, and Paul is going to expound upon this idea in part six here, in chapter six, the first 13 verses. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn there. I want to read for us these 13 verses, and then after I read them, we'll back up and make two observations from them to connect them to our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 1, says this, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. 
We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now, in these verses, I want us to see two things that remind us that we live for him by serving them. So what are those things? Well, the first thing I want us to see is in the first 10 verses, and that is that we work with him for them. We work with him for them. Now, we see this as we think about the context of these verses. What, is, what do we see back in chapter 5 that reminds us of what it looks like for God to be working with us and through us? We remember back in chapter 5 in verses 18 and 20 that Paul reminds us all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul understood that God had given him and God has given us a ministry, and that is to help connect people back to the God who created them. That we have a ministry of reconciliation. And in this way, we are ambassadors for Christ, representing him in this world. Now, when we think about that as, as a task that has been entrusted to you, to reconcile people to God, to be an ambassador for Christ, how many of you feel sufficient for that task? Show of hands. My hand's not up either. It's representative <laughs> in that we echo what Paul said back in chapter 2. Who is sufficient for these things? The implication, none of us are sufficient to reconcile people to God. None of us are sufficient to be an ambassador for Christ. But Paul goes on and reminds us that if we have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we have become a new creation. And that which we were at one time insufficient for, God has made us sufficient in him. Look at what it says in chapter 3. Our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. See, in and of ourselves, I ask the question, how many of you feel sufficient to be a, a, an ambassador for Christ, to have a ministry of reconciliation? In and of ourselves, we say we are insufficient. But when we remember that we are in Christ, he has made us sufficient in him. And so he has entrusted to us a ministry. He has made us sufficient. But how has he made us sufficient? Well, the beginning of verse 6 gives us a great clue. He's made us sufficient by working together with us. Paul says we work together with him. You know, I think about this, this picture often. You know, many of you work in our children's ministry. How many of you have ever volunteered in our children's ministry? Okay, lots and lots of hands. Then you know that in our children's ministry, we never send you to a classroom by yourself. There is always a buddy. There is always a partner in that room with you. And that's good because it has, you know, there's a lot of challenges in those rooms. And also it's above reproach and all of those things. We send you there with a friend. But you know what this verse reminds us of? When you step into that children's classroom, it's not just you and your buddy. It's you and your buddy and Jesus in that classroom ministering to those kids. 
And when you go to lead a small group in your living room, that can be a little lonely sometimes, can it? I mean, it doesn't meet here. People might not see you. You might wonder, is this, how's this going? Is this worthwhile? I'm on my own. I'm insufficient for this task. Guess what? When you sit down to lead that group, even if you are the only leader that is present in that group, it is not just you. It is Jesus with you. And when you go to share Christ with a friend and you sit down across lunch with them and you're going to open your heart and invite them to follow Christ, you might think, I, I don't have the words. I wish that I had a, a friend here who knew more. I wish I had someone here who could help me in this endeavor. Well, guess what? It's not just you who's sitting down at lunch. It is you and Jesus with you. Paul reminds them very early on that they are working together with him. Why are we sufficient? Because he is present, men and women. That's why we're sufficient. And this got me thinking. You know, a number of years ago, I went fishing. And you got to know about me, I am not a fisherman. In no way am I a fisherman. I didn't grow up fishing. I know nothing about it. But I went with some friends that like to fish. And so we go out. And thankfully, there was a guide in the boat with me. And so we get on the the, the boat, and you know what the guide does? The guide picks out a lure for me. And then the guide ties the lure on the line. And and then the guide drives the boat to the the right section of the lake. And then the guide turns the boat in the right direction. Then the guide tells me where to cast, and then I cast it. And when the fish bites the lure and gets on the line, I reel it in. But then the guide picks it out of the water and takes the lure out of its mouth and then hands it to me, and I hold it for a picture. (laughs) Now, the question is, who was fishing? Well, I got to be honest, it felt kind of like it was me. It was exciting. It was fun. It was exhilarating. But it would have been impossible had it not been for the guide in the boat. Friends, we have been invited into the boat with Jesus. He is the one who is fishing through us. That illustration is no exaggeration, and some of you in this room know it because you were there with me. But that's what all ministry is like. We go out to do something that otherwise we're ill-equipped for, and we get to be involved in this amazing thing of seeing people be reconciled to God and grow in their relationship with him. And when it's all over, Jesus proudly hands us something to celebrate, when in fact it was him who was doing the work all along. Friends, we have the privilege of working together with him. And because of that, we can be bold. We can be bold, right? Because God is at work, we can be bold. I mean, if it was just up to us, we might have very low expectations for what could ever happen in any situation. But if God is at work, friends, the sky is the limit. He created the sky, There is nothing above him. There is nothing beyond him. And so why would we not be bold in our opportunities for ministry knowing that he is already at work? But this boldness carries with it a second aspect, and that is an urgency. For Paul, it wasn't just that he was was bold in his ministry, and he was encouraging us to be bold, but also there was an urgency to his tone. 
Look at what it says. It says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and he, and he reminds them, friends, it is necessary for you to respond it is necessary for us to, to not just have God's word read over us or around us or to share the faith of a friend, but it's important for us personally to begin to follow Christ, to make him our Lord and to orient our lives in his direction. If we just watch what's happening to others, then the grace of God is in vain. It is useless to us. And Paul knew that it was important that they respond while they had time. And the time was now. Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 49 here when he talks about this favorable time and the day of salvation. Those, that was written in the Old Testament time, written 700 years before Jesus came into the world. But Paul says, hey, if Isaiah was talking about a future time when salvation would come, guess what? That time is now. Don't delay Trust Christ, follow him now. That's what his point was. There's an urgency to it. There's a need for people to respond. Now, I, I don't want to camp on this, but I think it's important for us to see in, in, this, in these two points, in these couple of verses, uh, a great distinction in Christian theology. In Christian theology, at times, there are debates, and the debate goes something like this. Is it God's sovereignty, or is it man's responsibility as it relates to different things in our lives, whether it's salvation or, or growth or whatever it might be? In this little pair of verses, friends, we are reminded that it is both. God is sovereign and at work so we can be bold, knowing that he is drawing men and women to himself. And yet, it is the responsibility of individuals to respond in faith. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. If, you're, if your theological perspective does not have room for both, it needs to widen to include verses like these. And so we, we see here this bold urgency that marks Paul's ministry. And it's a bold urgency that should mark our lives as well as we endure in serving him. And it ought to inspire us to do something, right? That we wouldn't just say, well, this is a great message and all this stuff, but no, no, no. God's at work. The time is now. Let's get after it. What does it look like to get after it for you and serving Christ and following him? Today is the day, not tomorrow, but today. So let's do something. Now, after making this call and this, these generalities, Paul now begins to kind of validate his ministry to them. He needs to answer some questions that they might have. And so Paul reminds them that he put no obstacles in their way so that no fault may be found with his ministry. What Paul was saying was, Paul was saying something to the effect of, in modern terms, as I have been ministering among you, I have not had any affairs, I have not abused anyone, I have not, um, you know, done things improper financially to discredit the ministry that was going on. Paul says, I, I'm not doing those things because I don't want to put any obstacles because of me that might keep you from seeing and embracing and trusting Christ. Paul says, we put no obstacles in your way. And Paul reminds them that he sees himself as a servant 
His motivation is not as a rock star. His motivation is not as a celebrity. His motivation is not as someone in power. His motivation is one as a servant of God. In that perspective, he was doing this, following him by serving them. That perspective allowed him to have a great endurance regardless of the consequences. Now, what did Paul have to endure through? Well, he provides this kind of laundry list of things that he had to persevere through. And, and it begins with a list of, of the hard things that he had experienced. One of three places inside of this book where a list of challenges Paul experienced are given. Here he, he talks about some hard times. And he begins with these three hard times, afflictions, hardships, calamities. These are just difficulties that came into Paul's life because he was following Christ and serving. Not persecution, just difficulties while living in this world. For instance, Paul experienced various shipwrecks, challenges that he went through, um, car wrecks, if you will. Um, but these car wrecks led to him spending the night in the, in the sea, difficulties. Paul experienced those hardships. And if he was only following Christ because it was fun or convenient, he would have stopped when these things came. But he kept going. And he even kept going through not just difficulties, but specific persecution that he experienced because of his faith in Christ. He persecuted through various beatings that he suffered because he followed Christ. Imprisonments that he experienced because he followed Christ. Riots that developed around him because he followed Christ. Again, if he was only in this because it was convenient or because he was with his buddies... He would have stopped at some point, but he persisted. And how was he able to persist? Because he had the perspective of a servant. He would continue to serve as long as there was need. And he kept going. Not only that, but he even went through labors and sleepless nights and hunger. Ministry is hard sometimes, isn't it? I'd be lying if I said there weren't nights that I lost sleep because of things that are happening around Wildwood. Um, and I say that not as someone who says that alone, but around this room, there are people who you're involved in the lives of those around you, you're serving, and because of the challenges and difficulties that people are experiencing, you have lost some sleep as well. If, if our perspective towards service is only about it being fun, then we will quit eventually. We will not endure because there are times when it's not fun. But Paul persisted even through hard times because he had the perspective of a servant. Not only that, but he was able to do this because the Spirit dwelled within him. The Holy Spirit dwelled in Paul's soul. And because of that, he had the power of God to face these challenges and to respond with the fruit of the Spirit. We see he, right in the middle of this list, he talks about how the Holy Spirit was present. The power of God was present in his soul. And because it was there, because he had trusted Christ and God had given him the Spirit, a set of fruit produced in his life. Purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and love and truth. Reminds us of the list of the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, does it not? This is what happened as the Spirit came to reside in 
Paul's soul. This is what happens as we rely upon the spirit that has come to reside in our souls from the time that we have trusted in Christ. And with that kind of power, it enables us to endure and to persevere. And not only did it lead to these, the presence of the spirit lead to these characteristics, but it also equipped him for ministry. The weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. It equipped him so that no matter from which direction the challenge came, Paul was ready for the task because of what the Spirit had done in his life. And because the Spirit was present, it allowed him to endure whether he was experiencing honor or dishonor, slander or praise. Friends, Paul was able to endure through hard times because the Spirit was at work in his soul. But a third thing, he focused on the unseen. He focused on the unseen. What are we focused on? Are we focused on what is seen or are we focused on what is unseen? Paul continues in verses 8 to 10 with a, a number of comparisons. He talks about one thing that is seen, one thing that the Corinthians might have observed about Paul, and then he told them what was really happening. The things that they had seen was they had seen Paul treated as an imposter. They had seen him be really unknown. He wasn't a celebrity. They, they had seen him experience conditions that looked like he was dying. They had seen him uh, be punished because of his faith in Christ. They had seen him sorrowful. Even in the letters that he wrote them, he, he expressed some sorrow because of what was going on in that church. They had seen him as someone who was poor. He didn't have a lot of material resources. They had seen him literally having nothing at all. This is what they had observed with their eyes. But Paul reminded them that there was more going on than met the eye. He reminds them that though they had been treated as an imposter, they actually were true. Though they were unknown to the world, they were well known to God. Though they looked like they were dying, they actually were experiencing an abundant life. Though they were punished, God had sustained them. Though they were sorrowful, they still could rejoice because God was up to bigger things. Though they, they had very little physical, material possessions, they were able to provide deep blessing in the life of others. And though they had nothing, they actually had an inheritance that allowed them to understand that they possessed everything. You see, friends, the Apostle Paul was able to endure in ministry because he understood what God was up to, at least a little bit. He was dependent upon the Spirit's power that enabled him to take the role of a servant even through hard times. And so the question for us is, have we made a commitment like this? You know, when Paul goes through this list, he basically is saying, there is nothing that is going to take me out of the game of serving Christ. There's nothing that's going to take me out of this game. No matter what hardships, no matter what difficulty, the Spirit is always greater. I'm in it for the long haul. Reminds me of premarital counseling, of I'm meeting with a couple, and I'll, I'll, I'll walk through them, their vows that they're going to exchange. And I'll always tell them, you know, these vows are basically saying to one another, under no circumstance am I going to leave you. I'm committing to you in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad. I'm committing to you. I feel like in these verses, the Lord is saying to us, will we commit to following him and serving him no matter what the circumstances look like? Have we made that commitment? Are we willing to work with him for them? Well, second thing that I want us to see 
is this. I want us to appreciate those that he uses in our lives. I want us to appreciate those that he uses in our lives. And this really is a summary of verses 11 to 13. The Apostle Paul has laid out the case for how he has, has done everything he can to, to lay down his life and to serve them and to love them. And then he kind of summarizes that. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. Paul says, I have lived my life before you. I have lived with my heart open before you. I have loved you as best as I can. And yet, the Corinthians had not responded as Paul had hoped that they would respond. They had put a governor on their love. They had put a governor on their acceptance of him. And they were unwilling to communicate a reciprocal love for him. Paul here comes to them, and, and like a parent to a child, he could not command them to love him. But he basically says to them, please, widen your heart also. Don't restrict your love for me, but widen your heart also that we might be on mission together with him. And so we were reminded that Paul was not serving for the applause of men and women, but that doesn't mean that Paul didn't appreciate it. And the same thing I, I would say for, for all of us. Are we appreciating those that he is using in our lives? Now, as, as I say that, I, I know that, that, that this may sound a little, you know, self-serving. I don't mean it that way at all. I want you to think about those in your life, not those on a stage, those in your life that God is using to, to bless you in some way. You know, it, it might be a, a Bible study leader. It might be someone who is leading your kids in student ministry or children's ministry. It, it might be uh, a friend at work that is just encouraging you in your walk with God. Whatever it might be, who is God using in your life to encourage you? And then the second thing is, have you opened wide your heart to them? H have you let them know the appreciation that you have for for them and how thankful you are that God is using them in your life. They might not write a letter like Paul asking if there's some reciprocity, but may we be a church that even in the next week, I mean, there'll be over a thousand people in these three services today. Wouldn't it be something if a thousand different text messages, emails, phone calls, carrier pigeons, snail mail, whatever went out this week from people in this room to those in our lives that, that might be discouraged in this moment that we might be able to come alongside and say, God, God is using you in my life. God is using you in the life of my child. Just encourage him how we see the Lord working through them. Friends, let's appreciate those that he uses in our lives. Now, before we sing a closing song, I, I just want to wrap this up with, with one little story, and it has to do with some friends of ours named Chris and Evie Jones. They're missionaries that Wildwood helps support that are serving in Papua New Guinea. Now, they have gone there with their family, their small children, and they're, they're living literally in a treehouse in the jungle, translating the scriptures into the language of a people that uh, have no scripture and helping to plant a church and a movement for Christ in this village, a village that looks like it is forgotten by the universe, but God is aware of it, and the Jones are there helping to invite these people to follow Christ. Now, when I, when I heard this story, it, it's pretty wild, isn't it? 
I mean, a family leaving the comforts of here to go and live in the jungle. And I remember going and having uh, coffee with Chris at Panera Bread. How's that for a, a contrast? Panera Bread in Norman, the jungle in Papua New Guinea. Uh, but I, I, I remember just going there to have coffee with him and asking him how he made the decision to go and all these things. And, you know, I, I'm anticipating that he is gone because he is like a modern-day Indiana Jones. You know, I'm just imagining him with like a fedora and a leather coat and a bullwhip, you know, just like looking for the next adrenaline rush, the next place to go, the hardest thing. And just thinking, man, that's so great that he loves living there in Papua New Guinea and all this stuff. And he looks at me, I'm asking him questions and he looks at me eventually and he goes, Mark, you got to know something. I hate the jungle. (laughs) My vision of Indiana Jones is shattered, right? He goes, Mark, I hate the jungle. But I love Jesus, and he loves them. And it's a privilege for me to invest my life so that they might know him as well. Now, friends, all of us are not called to move to the jungle, but all of us are invited to step away from normal for us in order to serve them as we follow him. Lord, thank you so much for just this great passage of Scripture, this encouragement that we have seen from it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to really just have a bold urgency in our ministry, knowing that you are at work around us, that we would open wide our hearts and invest in reaching and serving those around us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to do that in your grace, and we pray that you would open our eyes to the places where you would have us to serve. And Lord, that we would one day uh, be able to, to see and know some of what you are doing in the lives of those around us. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.